We were not created to live stagnant lives, to be stuck, bound, or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter. The greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root. Mercy has flooded our souls, and the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion, to make a difference, to share Jesus, with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. And so church family, welcome once again to Amazing Love. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's just ask God to bless us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments where we get to hear your voice. I ask that I would be your ambassador, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know how many of you are busy and maybe tired. Um, I know as far as months go, the month of May is a whirlwind month. With graduation and confirmation, it, it, it's hard to catch a breath. And so that's why I thought I, I'd, I'd, get, I'd do you a favor this morning. And um, I want you to imagine yourself in vacation mode. Okay, can we just pause and imagine ourselves in vacation mode? Now, this could be as close as a trip to Wisconsin. It could be as exotic as a trip to, I don't know, the West Indies. It doesn't matter, but you're entering into a very different culture because you're on vacation. Now, in this culture, it could be like Wisconsin where they're like, Wisconsin nice, and that's weird. Um, or they put cheese and curds rather than pizza. Or they have small towns versus skylines. Um, it could be the West Indies where they speak a different language. They eat completely different food. They wear different things. Um, but just imagine yourself being in a very strange and different land. Okay? That's where you are. Now with that, there are three assumptions I have for your time there. Are you ready? Assumption number one. You are not going to make your accommodations your home. And what this means is that wherever you're staying, Airbnb, an RV, a hotel, if the paint color is not your, your style, if the TV is not big enough, and if the bed is not really working, you're not going to change it out. You're going to make do because, again, this is not your home, right? So you're not going to worry too much about your accommodations. Number two. 
you're going to be okay and even expect that you don't fit in, right? And you may be respectful to the customs, you may be pleasant to the people, um, you might even pick up some of the language and the terms and why they do things, but at the end of the day, you're totally fine not speaking the language, not eating the food, and coming back exactly how you came, which is unchanged, right? A third thing. You're going to remember that you're going home and that will taper your experience. And what that means is that on the really good days, you're going to soak it up and be like, oh man, this is amazing. I wish it would never stop, but I know it will, so I better really enjoy the day. And what it also means is that if you get food poisoning, if things are stolen, if the new culture is not so nice to you, that's okay. Because <laughs> you're not staying. Ah, vacation. I don't know where you went, but to me it was great. Well, I have a spiritual point for all of this. And um, as we get going into the Word of God, um, I want to share with you our first takeaway, and that is this, that you are strangers here on earth. So that whole experience that I just kind of detailed is your experience for your total earthly life. And by the way, I want to welcome you if you're new to this place, you're new to Christianity. Um, there are a, a few identities that we love as Christians. And in fact, in our circles, and some of our, our kids know this, I, I, I usually ask, who are you? And, and when I ask, who are you, do you know the answer to that? Who are you? Child of God, right? Child of God is your very best identity. It is the identity that is based on the performance of Jesus, which is why you can't lose it. Because it's based on the performance of Jesus, it never fades over time. It's always good. It's like sealed. You're, you're golden, right, because of that identity. But identity 2.0, okay, so that's the base of our salvation. Identity 2.0 that I think is so helpful is what we just wrote down. That you are a stranger. And that's what we're going to hear Peter say. So as Peter opens the, the letter that we're going to get into and dwell on uh, during this time, uh, this is how he addresses people. He says, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect, those chosen by God. His, his language is going to be so rich here, by the way. Uh, to those God chose strangers in the world. That's you. And if I take my prior illustration and now apply it to this spiritual concept, this is what it means. If right now you go back to a home and you don't like the paint colors and your bed has a spring that is poking you or buttons that aren't so good, if you long for better entertainment options, I have good news for you. You don't have to upgrade. You know why? You're not home. And sooner than you know, it's going to change anyway. In ways that you can't plan, um, at times that you never factored in, um, that's going to change anyway, so you can put up with imperfection. And, and so maybe some of you are not going to take a trip to Home Depot. You're welcome for that. I just saved you like weekends and hours, and that's free. Another thing this means is that it's okay if you feel like you don't fit in. And maybe I'm talking to teenagers. Maybe I'm talking to someone who's new in the area. It is okay that you feel weird and different because God made it that way. God wanted you to feel as if what you're about and the language you speak and how you view the world 
would be so radically different and, and not expressed on media and not expressed even in the water cooler conversations. He made it that way. In fact, through the words of Paul, we have this. We have, um, backing up, um, words that say, um, do not conform uh, to this world and the pattern of this world. Sorry, it was not up there. But the final thing, if we apply strangers to our spiritual conversation, and this is really good, it means that whether you are riding high on top of the world, and by the way, I want to have a conversation with you, I want, you, I want to get some of that, like rub it off on me. If, if you're having like the best of the best, let's talk. Let's get lunch. But if you're riding low, and right now it represents a very tough season, it represents a very hard thing, the good news is, it doesn't last. You're going home. And that's what the hymn that we just sung said. I want to repeat verse 1 of that hymn. He said, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Now, that's not how Americans view the earth. <laughs> we are pursuing a desert drear. Danger and sorrow stand. Round me on every hand. If we're honest, we know all about that. But heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. And what a beautiful perspective that is. And so this is what we get to talk about in our moments today, the implications of being a stranger. And I'm so excited that you are with us as we kick off our series, Changed. And uh, the premise of the series is this, that the resurrection of Jesus changed quite a bit. It changed our view of death, it changed our salvation, it changed our reasons for hope, it even changed us. And that's true of a man named Peter. So the voice we're going to hear was very much changed. Before the resurrection of Jesus, he was cowering in front of a little girl. He had no hope. He thought it was over. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the leader of the Christian church, very courageous, willing to endure death for the sake of the name. And the same resurrection power can change us. Not to be perfect, but to make progress. And I want to give you, because we're in this book, just a little bit more of the context of the flavor of the book. Um, Peter is writing to exiles throughout the, the world at that time. Um, Christians who are in the modern-day country of Turkey, but they were spread out. And the devil was making it very difficult to follow Jesus. And he's not stopped doing that, by the way. The devil gets in the way, and he's making it very hard to try to stick with Jesus and the Jesus thing. And at that time, he was using the Roman government and threatening death and persecution if you were a follower of the way, and that's just the way it was. And so as Peter writes to these who are scattered and enduring persecution and suffering, he writes a word of encouragement. He writes a word of perspective. He wants to give them something that will raise their hearts and raise their spirits, even though right now, it's not so good. And so those are the words we get to hear today. And uh, as we turn to the word of God, I'm going to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Um, pick them apart a little bit as I read and then discuss. So it kicks off and says, Peter, the writer of this letter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, again, modern-day Greece. 
uh, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Pause there. One of the most comforting things you can think about is that before you planned your birthday, God did. Before you planned your day of salvation, God did. He's in charge of that salvation. Even you coming to faith is his gift to you so you can be fully assured it is yours. Who have been chosen according to the knowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And why is church still good in an age where there's imperfection, in an age where most people are not going to worship, in an age where people have said, why do I need the church? Because with God, we have grace and peace in a way that the world cannot give. You cannot get the same kind of peace in the shelves of Target. You cannot order it on Amazon. You get it in this place as we hear the word of God and receive his sacraments. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, and this is a tip-off for how God works in your life, if you get this principle, you will not be surprised at what he allows, because what he's going to say is he's more about the character of your faith than the comfort of your home. Are you ready? These have come the trials so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have seen him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Powerful words. Concepts I think we could probably dwell in for days and days. But uh, before we sit down, can you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, stranger? Hey, stranger. Perfect, perfect. Please be seated. Please be seated. Anyone else know that things go bad over time? Can we talk about bad meat? Anyone remember any bad meat experiences? Right? Uh, if you don't refrigerate that thing, if you don't freeze that thing on the right time, when you go to open it, when you go to slow cook it, your nose will alert you that this ain't good. Your nose is a wonderful thing saying if you eat that thing, there will be consequences because some things go bad over time. Isn't that true about childhood destinations? Do you have somewhere you went as a child? It was glorious. It was great. In, in your mind, it was your house. It was something. And, and now you go back and it's, what? I think of like malls. Um, you know, sometimes we shop as a family and so malls were big. And, 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 and some of you might even know in Chicago, you went to malls that, you know, either are dilapidated or no longer exist uh, because what we know is that things go bad over time. Like, they don't always go well. That's also true with style. Um, back in the early 2000s, red was a good color. I, I want to update you um, because I think the emotions and the feelings, the sentiments on the color red have drastically changed in a matter of time. Right. Ta-da. Because things go bad over time. 
And this is a principle of life. As we dive into scripture, one of the greatest things that Peter is going to remind us of is that when it comes to God, he has something for you that like meat will never stink, like a style will never go out of fashion, and like a, a clothing item will always fit well. And as we talk about being strangers, what you need to know as being a stranger here on earth, this is the first takeaway, is that with the Lord you have a reward that will not go bad. And Peter talks about it this way. He says, you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And so this is going to be the experience of heaven through the resurrection of Jesus. When you get there, um, you will enjoy the smell. You won't have to wonder, oh, where did all the good food go? No, it's fine. When you get there, it won't be like, oh man, this is the style of the 1000s BC, and I'm not sure I groove with it. No, it's going to fit your persona. It's going to be an untouched good, regardless of how long the world goes. It will only be supremely good. It cannot perish, spoil, or fade. This is good news. And it's how Peter leads into this concept of why you can live a changed life and even accept your identity as a stranger. And, and, and he talks American talk because what he's basically saying is, you're going to get compensation. Now, can we talk a little bit about the motivating factor of compensation? Have you ever been motivated by a reward in the end? Maybe there's some salespeople, and you knew if you hit this number, uh, this bonus was going to kick out. And so you remember what it was to make that extra call. You remember what it was to go after those extra hours. You remember what it was because you knew at the end there was compensation. Maybe some of you remember time and a half. You're working way, your way up on the totem pole, and as the low person on the totem pole, uh, you have to work during Christmas break. Everyone else is having fun, and yet part of the reason you are there at Christmas break is because you know the check that's coming. And that check is going to you know, maybe be enough to buy a car, maybe be enough to put you over the top and get you there. And so yes, they're having fun, but you endure because you know good old time and a half. It's interesting to me that, yes, let me be clear, we are saved by grace, absolutely. We are not saved by works. We would never be perfect enough. It is clear to me also that the good works we do are empowered by the Spirit, empowered by grace, and that's really good. But, but let me also then be very clear. If you are in the Lord pursuing his ways, he does talk about reward, and he makes no bones about it. He does talk about, at the end of the parable of the talents, you've been faithful, here you go. You appropriated your life, here you go. This life is a placement test for what comes for all of eternity. In fact, perhaps Peter writes it this way because Peter was taught by Jesus. And Peter was wondering at one point, what am I going to get because I'm doing time and a half. I'm, I'm working during Christmas break. I, I, I'm going after the more and I'm pushing. In fact, this is how the conversation goes. He said, we have left all to follow you. What are you going to do, Jesus? We gave up a lot. Doesn't feel like home, not acting like everyone at home. What are you going to do? Look at what Jesus says. Truly I tell you. No one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. God is faithful. 
God sees whatever effort, whatever sweat, whatever you put in to the kingdom. And he knows how to appropriate it. And here's why that's good. Because it's hard to follow Jesus. Let me be clear, it's good to follow Jesus. Let me be clear, conversion is easy. It happens in an instant as you hear the gospel. But let me also be clear, the more time you put in, the more struggle you will have as he's refining your faith, as he's teaching you the lessons of perseverance, and at one point or another you will find it is hard to follow Jesus. And the people Peter writing to, they knew that. The, the people, people Peter was writing to could face death because they claimed to follow Jesus. They could lose their lives. And so the perspective that Peter gives is this. Endure. You're only here for a little time. Endure because you have a reward that is yours kept in heaven for you. It is not going to go away. It's not going to lose its splendor. What you're doing right now, whatever it is, struggling with the kids to get here, volunteering, leading a church, whatever it is, the praise that you give, it's worth it in the end. But there's more. And to talk about this and talk about the idea of strangers, it's interesting to me how travel has changed. I don't know how many of you are traveling right now. Um, but, but right now, what's really good when you travel is travel insurance. Um, and, and that's because you never know what's going to happen. You, you never know if the flight is going to change, if they're going to close down the facility. Um, I was looking at Costa Rica, and you can only go there if you have medical insurance. Um, you, you know what it is to spend money and sure that it's going to go well, and, and, and that's the way it is. In fact, I, I remember talking to one of our church family members who used this insurance. They were over in a, a distant country. They, their car got broken into, and, and thankfully they had insurance that could cover the cost because things go, go wrong, right? What God is telling you as a stranger here in a dangerous land, this next point, that he took out an insurance plan on you. It's a beautiful concept. In fact, look at what he said. You who through faith are shielded by God's power. Right now, in ways you might not think about, in ways you might not understand, in ways you cannot see, he is shielding you by his power. Because God, like a good American, knows how to protect his investment. And by the way, you are his investment. He, he is the one who planned your earthly birth, the one who planned your spiritual birth, and, and you are priceless to him because of that. And the one of, who thinks of you this way wants to protect you and make sure you stay close to him. This concept that reminded me of a conversation I had with the pastor. We call, so we, we call Pastor Gunn. And, and just a, he's a cool guy. I, I don't know where the Lord will lead him, but he's cool. And um, he prays prayers where basically he's asking God to shield him. Um, they're kind of like blow it up or burn it up prayers. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, God, if this isn't your will, blow it up or burn it up. Right? God, if this car is not it, blow it up, burn it up. Uh, just make it very, very clear to the simple-minded that we should not do this thing. Right? And maybe you've lived long enough to see God work in your life where you reflect on something you really, really wanted at the time, and now you're relieved that you don't have it. 
There's some of you who might say, I really wanted to be this, work for that, and now you know those who are that and work there, and you're like, I am so glad I did this other thing. Or maybe there are those conversations where like, I, I really should have been with that person, and now you know that person, and you're like, I'm, they're, they're fine, they're, they're, it's good, but I'm glad, ooh, yep, mm-hmm, thank you, God. Right? And we live long enough to know that this is going on even behind the scenes. This is going on when I drive the car. This is going on in, in my faith life. And, and it doesn't mean that he's our genie making everything going our way. No, no, no. He, he's working in a way that whatever happens will keep you close to him. That, that's the thing. He, he's working in a way that whatever situation you're in, you're going to need him. That, that, that's the way he operates. As he shields you with his power. What a blessing it is to have that assurance. And so he's front-loading all of these great things in the letter, and he's front-loading that you were elected, that, that you have an inheritance, that you have an insurance plan, that you have a living hope, that God is full of mercy and grace and peace, and all of these good, which is really, really good. You know why? Because you're not on vacation at all. You are a soldier on a very dangerous mission in a very hostile place. And so I guess I could have switched the analogy, but if you are in Christ, he never ever promised this was easy. He did promise it would be good. And he warned us about the peril. And so he front loads with all this good in order to get to this point that now for a little time you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And what we know about being a stranger as a follower of Jesus who's going to a distant land is this, that our time as strangers here on earth can be tough, can be rigorous, can pull us. In fact, in an earthly sense, do you have in your family or do you know any first-generation immigrants? I'm just curious. So raise your hands. Do you know any first-generation immigrants? Was it easy for them? In fact, this was documented in one of my least favorite books ever, and I keep bringing it up because it's stuck with me. One of my least favorite books ever is called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And it documents how Lithuanian immigrants were taken advantage of here in the city of Chicago. Now, thankfully, it was made up. Um, but it, it documents how um, they were swindled at their wedding and they were swindled at the sale of their house and they were um, uh, coerced by the boss to do this and that and all these other horrible, dreadful things um, because they were new. And they didn't have anyone who had their back. They didn't have anyone. They had to make it on their own in a hostile country. And it was very tough. And then I think of our time in this country. There are people who want to take advantage of you. Here's the truth. They do. There are people who want to hurt you. And here's the truth. They do. There are times where the only explanation for how it went down is that it was tragically wrong, and yet it happens. And God says these are tests. 
And I love that terminology because what we know about tests is we can pass and fail tests. And being real with what goes on in this life, can we just be honest that sometimes we fail the tests? That sometimes when it does get tough, we start doubting God's insurance plan. When it gets tough, we stop, start doubting his goodness. When it gets tough, instead of getting better, we get bitter, we lash out, we handle it in sinful ways, and unfortunately, God is never done then working on us who struggle with sin and failure and an incomplete faith. Which is why what's beautiful is not how we change or what we change. What's beautiful is always what Jesus changed for us. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us a living hope. A hope that every day we live, the cross has covered the failure of any test. However you lashed out, however you expressed yourself in a wrong way, the cross of Jesus Christ has forgiven that sin and made you complete. We have hope, a living hope, that the reign of pain will end. Because the reign of pain came to Jesus, but it didn't have the final word. Death and the devil did their worst, but he rose from the dead. And he assured us that we too will rise, that we too will overcome. We have a living hope that no matter what's going on in your life of trouble, he is with you and he loves you and he is good, supremely good, better than you know right now, and he doesn't change. Yes, how great is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Because we're strangers here on earth. But before we go, and we will go soon, this is going to be a longer service, I can just tell. I just wanted to Think about, what if we took up this concept? What if we moved beyond our 1.0 identity of child of God into spiritual maturity and our 2.0 identification as a stranger? And, and I guess I just wanted to ask you the, the pertinent question, which is this. If you were to walk away today uh, engrossed in this new identity, what would you change? If the Spirit of God sunk into your heart, is there a pursuit right now that you would pivot. If you realize with totality, you're just not here long, would you really be going after that? Or would you pivot more to that? What perspective might you change if you knew you were going home? Instead of being in the pursuit of happiness like so many others and thinking that heaven is on earth and that heaven is not somewhere with Jesus, would you choose to endure more? Would you choose to stick in it? Would you choose to accept the fact that God did promise not pleasure but pain, but he's with you in it? And how would that change your mentality and your perspective right now? Yes, what would you do different 
if right now you fully accepted your identity that you are just a stranger living on very borrowed time. May God guide you. It's a beautiful concept. But as we close today, <laughs> I want to give you the nobility of whatever you choose. The nobility of what it would be like to live as a stranger. See, I don't know if you know this, but um, the Bible has a hall of fame. Did you know this? They have a hall of fame. Um, and, and we know this, you know, in life, there is uh, Cooperstown, right? I don't know if you've been there. Um, Pete Rose, you're still not in it, right? Um, there is a hockey hall of fame. I actually went to that one for all you Blackhawks fans. Toronto, by the way. There is a country music hall of fame. But do you know that the Bible has a hall of fame? And some of you might even know the chapter. It is uh, Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the heroes of the faith. And it talks about their incredible feats. How some of them endured the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How some of them shut the mouths of lions. Daniel. How some of them moved because God said move. Abraham. How some of them led God's people Moses. How some were sought into and, and died a martyr's death. And, and they did this all because they had identity 2.0. How to make it in the Hall of Fame is the motivation I am giving you today. For, for this is what it said. All these people who did these incredible exploits, and now the angels rejoice, and maybe they have a plaque there, I mean, in glory of Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance because they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And, and here's what I believe. If you're willing to accept this identity, in a way you are untouchable, you are different, and it is grand and glorious. Because you know you're not here long. And what could God do through you? Let's do that. And sometimes we talk about anticipatory anxiety but what Peter talks about is anticipatory joy. He says, if you choose to live this way, he says this, that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. If right now you magnify the Lord in your mind and you believe where you're going and you believe where he, he's with you, um, what this can do is this can help you endure today because your eyes are on someday. And Jesus becomes so apparent in your life that it clouds out whatever is going on. And every now and then, the Spirit of God does that. Every now and then, worship is just wonderful, and, and I don't remember what homework I have, and I don't remember what's going on in work, and I don't remember because all I see is Jesus. And sometimes I'm so overwhelmed with the thoughts of heaven. I don't consider what's going on right now. They're not as big because I've magnified the Lord. My thoughts are on someday, and it can have this anticipatory joy. May that be yours. May he pour out that perspective to see today what you someday will have, for that's realer than you know. Amen.